Hey guys, and welcome to The One Up Project. We're simplifying all things finance and lifestyle in a relaxed environment. It's all just a bit of fun, so be sure to keep listening and let the content be a catalyst for your own self-improvement. Quick trigger warning for anyone who is about to listen to this episode, which can I just say is an amazing open conversation with Laura, but trigger warning, we do speak um, about trauma, all kinds of trauma, sexual abuse, suicide, abortion, uh, depression, anxiety, mental health and mental illness in general, uh, quite a wide spectrum of things talked about so if anything in that general area you think could be triggering for you or you're not quite at a stage where you think you can listen to someone else's experience I would just uh, maybe miss this episode this time and come back to it when you feel um, like it would be appropriate for you so yeah just wanted to chuck that in there as a quick warning please don't listen to this if you feel that any of those topics will be triggering. Otherwise, I really hope you enjoy this episode. Thank you so much for being here and let's jump into it. Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the One Up Project podcast. Today we have my good friend Laura Eustace here with us. She is a mental illness, sexual abuse, trauma and general like internal well-being activist I feel and speaker as well as the founder of Flourish Project NZ on Instagram. Um, welcome to the One Up Project. How are you? Thank you. That was quite the introduction. <laughs> I was not expecting that. I was like, oh wow. <laughs> Haven't had that. Done my research. <laughs> yeah, no, I love it. I love it. No, thank you. Um, I'm doing well. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. I'm very grateful that you are here. Um, really appreciate your time as per. And um, I guess like a little background for the listeners. Laura and I kind of met on Insta. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the kind of, what is it called? Like the 2020, 2021 kind of how everyone meets nowadays, yeah. I feel like. It's quite funny. Yeah, but. it is so funny. I feel like, yeah, it's so funny because I always talk to people and say like, oh, I could never imagine finding like a boyfriend on a dating app or something but then I've met so many friends online in the past year that I'm like why would I ever think that because it's so easy to meet people and make friends online now it's just like so normal yeah no for sure well as someone who actually met my boyfriend on a dating app yeah yeah where I like to say a bumble success story oh I love that because I've had so many stories like that and I'm just like oh cool that's good I'm glad that actually like good thriving relationships have come out of that yeah I mean yeah stay away from tinder I feel like tinder's like the little like "Mm." well nothing against tinder tinder per se just the I don't know yeah, it yeah. feels like a little bit more like feral. Like yeah. you want to go to the nicer, <laughs> Why is that nicer so area. True? <laughs> yeah, but like, yeah, I, I swear half my friends now are just people that I've met online, which yeah. is quite funny because I never expected that. Especially when I started Flourish, I was yeah. like, oh yeah, it's just for friends and family, and then all of a sudden, all these people that I never knew are yeah. now like my good friends, and I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> like this yeah. is amazing, but also like this is really weird. Yeah, like, saying oh, I met this friend through the internet, and people are like, what? Yeah. <laughs> I think it's nice as well when you meet them through like your passion projects or whatever because you kind of get an instant idea for what the person values and is passionate about straight away rather than you like there's no small talk or anything like you're instantly straight into it yeah no I remember when we first met I remember telling you I hate small talk like Mm. I like just going straight into the I guess deep stuff and whatnot and I felt like when we first met that's exactly how it happened we just kind of all all of a sudden was just like okay we've got our small brownie and like like, tell me everything that was going on and it was just like it was so easy and seamless and I feel like every time I chat to you it's like so easy Mm. you know yeah likewise and even just down to the the 
the brownie because I like usually I like to you know kind of hold back when I first meet them I like get a a very conservative drink or something and not really show the true me but then yeah when Laura and I were having a coffee together I was like cool I'll get the smalls brownie and I might have even got a hot chocolate with it or chai latte or something and I was just going all out having this massive brownie in front of me but hey that's all good it's all right I got one as well and I've taken my workmates back there and I'm like oh Oh, I've got to try this small brownie and they're like how did you find this I'm like my friend Sarah she told me all about it and it's like now my go-to yeah it's so good I haven't been back there in ages oh I have to go um but anyway (laughs) um I thought maybe we could start off with you chatting to us a bit about what the Flourish Project is and why you started it and I guess like the whole story behind it because I don't even think I've really heard the, the back the like full background of this so yeah what is the flourish project um yeah that's a good question <laughs> <laughs> the flourish project I consider like almost like my personal blog mm. in a way but it's also more it's become more than that now so it started off as like my way of connecting to my friends and family I used to actually have like a wordpress blog that I used to like write cool. up my thoughts and stuff like that um because uh, as you kind of introduced, um, I like talking about my mental health and every like every aspect of my journey. And for a while, I felt like my blog was just a little bit too, like it was just too hard yards after a while. Like I, I like just doing shorter kind of captions mm. and stuff like that. So I decided to move my blog over onto an Instagram account. Um, and at first I just started it literally as just like a way of like talking to my friends and family, telling them everything that was kind of going on in my mind at the time, because at that time I was at the lowest point in my life. I had just returned from Sydney, um, after a really serious, uh, suicide attempt where I nearly died. And a lot of people that were back in Sydney didn't really know what had happened in my past or anything like that. So I wanted a way of opening up and talking about it because writing to me has always been really cathartic and whatnot. Um, So I always found it really helpful just to write out my thoughts and things like that. So yeah, it kind of started off as just me talking about um, my recovery and like how I was finding like my new therapist and things like that, or just Mm. random thoughts that came to mind and even just helpful reminders for myself as well. Mm. So like I'd share a lot of quotes and stuff at first. It was very like, I would only post on it like once every couple of months. And even now, sometimes I feel like I go through stagnant periods just because for me, it's more like I will post after I've reflected on something. I don't necessarily like posting when I'm really in the thick of it. Mm. Um, Sometimes I do, but only if I feel like I'm in the space that I can handle when people like will give me feedback or something like that. It's just more, um, yeah, it's more like a platform where I share all my thoughts and uh, recovery thoughts and everything like that because growing up when I had my depression when I was going through my anxiety um, even coming to terms with my PTSD no one I knew was talking about that kind of stuff mm. and so I wanted to create something where if other people saw it then they would feel less alone and that they could relate to it because um, I guess throughout my life I've gone through quite a lot of traumas and quite a lot of really complicated thoughts and feelings that one, I wanted to like talk about, but also I wanted other people to be able to read it and refer to and think of like, okay, like I've gone through that as well. Awesome. Someone else has now too, because Mm. I remember wishing that I had that when I was growing up and I just never saw anyone talking about things. Like it was always kind of like, you know, you'd see like the depression ads on TV with, um, who was it? Sir John Kerwin. And I was like, mm. 
awesome. That's great that he's talking about it, but he's like a big rugby player. How do I relate to that? You know, it totally, was just, yeah. it was a bit too hard to be able to kind of refer to that and be like, oh yeah, I can understand what he's talking about because to me, I was like a teenage girl just, I don't know, going through my own shit. And I was like, how would a big rugby player be able to, you know, relate? Mm. You know, it just, it there was no connecting the dots and there was nothing out there of people my age or of similar age or even of the same gender talking up about these kind of things. So, yeah, it all started just because I wanted almost like a venting yeah. area as well as I wanted to help people understand what was going on in my mind and why I had done things that I had done because of my mental illness or how I was, I guess, processing everything yeah. and letting them know what yeah what was kind of going on. Mm, for so, sure. It, yeah. The way you've, you speak up about these sort of things and what the Flourish Project is, it's so admirable because you are so transparent and vulnerable and, but you also do it in a way that is safe and appropriate for you personally, which I think is also really important because a lot of people who like you have these stories about their trauma. You put yourself out there and that is amazing for everyone else because it really does make other people feel like they're not alone. But I mean, that is also incredibly emotionally draining for you as yeah. a person as well to have to relive those things, not only in your life to move on from them, but also to help others and bring attention to that as well. So it's incredibly admirable. Um, and I just really appreciate what you're doing. And every time I see you post, I'm like, I'm just... I I don't know if I would have the strength to do that and so like seeing someone else do that I just can't even imagine like the value you're providing to everyone because you're providing so much to me and I have like couldn't even imagine and haven't even been through half the things you've been through so thank you thank you no I appreciate that but it's also it's something I'm still finding weird that other people I don't know like really admire because to me it's just like oh yeah this is my life and this is what I've just gone through, you know? Like, yeah. to me, it's just kind of like I've had to go through it rather than, like, mm. I think of it as, like, a, I don't know, super admirable kind of thing. Totally. Like, I appreciate yep. it, but it's also just, like, I find it really almost still a bit strange to kind of be like, oh, yeah, thanks, because to me, I'm just like, yeah, I just did Telling your life do. story. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I can completely um, understand that as well. And, it, it, yeah, it, it would feel so weird because you're putting yourself out, out there in such a vulnerable way, but to you, that is your life. So, yeah. like, you know, other people will look at it and be and think that, especially if they haven't been through the same thing. Um, but for you, you're just telling a story. And I think that's probably where, like, the power in it comes from as well because then – you, you like are living it and yeah. so other people I mean a, a lot of people who haven't been those through those things and hopefully never do but if they do they can kind of see that journey for themselves ahead of time which I think is really helpful as well do you want to tell us I guess the main areas you choose to speak up about on the Flourish Project and why they are important um to you yeah um for sure so I speak up as I mentioned before um about mental illness so for me I have I was diagnosed with depression when I was 16 also with anxiety um so I speak up definitely about those and more recently I was diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder so that's something that I also speak up about um especially because I feel like PTSD is still something that's not talked about but is so so common um because of I talk about these things because of the fact that um 
uh, when I was nine, I was sexually abused by a swimming instructor. And then later um, in my teenage years, when I was 17, I was raped at a party. And then when I was 20 and 23, I also went through um, numerous sexual assaults. Um, so I also talk up about, uh, my two abortions. So they have definitely been the ones that I guess I was most scared to talk about, especially my second one, just because I guess abortion is such a controversial topic and, um, whether you support abortion or whether you don't, um, I have always been really sensitive towards that topic just because I know how controversial it is, but also realize again how common it is and how little people talk about it um uh, as well as I talk about my suicide attempts so I have uh, attempted suicide numerous times so when I was in my teenage years and more recently in um 2017 where I had a suicide attempt where I I uh, was in a coma and woke up and told that if I had been found even 10 minutes later, I would have died. Um, mm-hmm. So I was put into a psych ward uh, when I was living in Sydney. So I woke up from the coma and then put into a psych ward after that and then came back to New Zealand um, a couple of weeks later um, and then was seen by the New Zealand crisis team, um, was told that I wasn't critical enough, which... Thank you, crisis team. (laughs) Um, For God's sake. Yeah, so they said that I wasn't critical enough because of the fact that the suicide attempt had happened over in Sydney and not in New Zealand, so they couldn't really do too much. Yeah, so that was a bit of a kick in the guts. I was like, what more do you want? I was literally on my deathbed, and here you are telling me I'm not critical enough. Thank you. Um, Wow. Yeah, so that wasn't too much fun but um after that I was put into a community mental health unit um I was on suicide watch for about a couple of weeks and then from there um I was put onto the public health system so they were referring me to a psychologist but that wait list was six months long and so me um being in that headspace I was like what the actual f um I think I slept on my floor for about three days because I just couldn't move I was just so angry and so Mm. feeling so hopeless and um my mum ended up calling around whatever psychology clinic she could find and luckily the first person that I went and saw has been my psychologist ever since and she is the most incredible person um I've had psychologists before where they've not been the best and it hasn't been the right fit mm. and uh it just really didn't help as much um but ever since meeting my current psychologist she has literally changed my life um just the wisdom and the help that she's been able to give me as well as my family has just been out of this world I don't think I would be here if it weren't for her and her help <laughs> really um uh yeah so I speak up especially about my psychology um and what I go through um, in my session. So I did DMT for a while or DBT, not DMT, <laughs> DBT, um, which is a type of therapy, which is dialectic, um, behavioral therapy. And then more recently for my post-traumatic stress disorder, I started EMDR, which is eye movement desensitization, uh, reprocessing, which is, um, like a, I guess a new age kind of type therapy, um, which is specifically for PTSD people so I speak up especially about that because I think talking about the different types of therapy and what their impacts can be is really really important Mm. um 
so yeah, I've had heaps of people that have responded really well to those. And so I make sure I speak up about that. Um, and just trauma in general. So, um, while I was over in Sydney, I actually lost one of my best friends. Um, she passed away really suddenly. Um, and so from that trauma, it was kind of accumulated with all the trauma that I had gone through, um, in my teenage years with the sexual abuse and even the abortion. And that's the thing with PTSD is that is very misunderstood. Like, I think a lot of people think of PTSD as like, you know, just war veterans. Mm. Um, yeah. And just think of it as like flashbacks or people getting really violent when they have their flashbacks, which is definitely not the case. Um, it manifests in so many other ways. And I think that's something that I like to talk about because of the fact that um, it can be shown through you know, dissociation and mm. irritability and sometimes not being able to maintain like good relationships with people and things like that. So making sure that I talk up about my experiences with that and how that has really impacted me. Um, so yeah, those are kind of the broad range of things that I talk about. Um, uh, just because I think each of those are, are really, really, really important. And I think yeah. are really rife in society mm-hmm. at the moment, especially very recently with all the sexual abuse yes, yeah. um, going on and the sexual violence that has been going around. I mean, it's something that so many women go through, but mm-hmm. yet it's still something that people don't talk about, um, mm-hmm. which really sucks. Or like when we do talk about it, you know, there's always pushback from others or, you know, the whole victim mentality of where they're like, well, you're not believed and things like that. So Mm. I really try and push back on that. And um, I've incorporated other survivors' stories on my platform and stuff because I think it's really important to connect survivors as well Mm. because a lot of the time, again, it's something that has impacted people for so long and a lot of the time they feel like they can't speak up about it for that fear of not being believed. Yeah. so yeah, I created this series called um, Survivor Sister, which was just connecting survivors together where they would share their story and then they would write a letter back to that person. And yes. it was all anonymous and whatnot, but... Um, this was so cool. You should definitely yeah. go on to Laura's page um, to check that out. It was awesome. I think, like, even though it was horrible that those girls had to go through um, assuming they were all women that were... Not all women. Yeah, so... But, yeah. Uh, um, the men and women who spoke up about their stories um, was incredible to see the strength in like the writing and then put their story out there without actually having to like put themselves out there mm. and like because so, people would want to speak up about their story but like you say wouldn't want to have their name attached to it maybe or like just them publicly announcing that yeah. so for you to like have the platform for yourself but to also give the platform to other people is like a really cool way to use uh, social media in general and be mm. able to do that um so you definitely go and check that out actually now thinking about it, it was a woman i was oh. thinking of another post where someone else got me to share their story and it was a, a male going through um his sexual abuse but yeah important to know anyway it can yeah. happen to male or female or yeah whatever you identify as. What you were touching on before around how you like to talk about the different ways that mental health and an array of different types of uh, things in mental health can present itself. It's not just one way. Like with PTSD, people automatically, their mind goes to war victims or something or mm-hmm. people who have been in the war, which I think is actually so true and so common. And um, that's where a lot of the stigma and uh, what's the word? Like not miseducation, but myths. 
myths yeah yeah myths of that yeah but yeah there is there is a lot of like just because there is no there isn't much education no. on it no so there's yeah none. there is missing education yeah. i guess i guess it's also miss um like just misunderstanding yes, because how, how would they have that understanding of, unless they know someone who has ptsd or yeah talks about it openly yeah and yeah. um, actually like a similar experience i had where i learned um about something uh, like a mental illness was um Aiden from OCDC clothing he came on like way earlier in the piece of the podcast and spoke about his OCD and it was so eye-opening because I think everyone also has this idea of what OCD is but it's just so much more than that and it, yeah. it's it doesn't just it's not just those things that everyone thinks it is and I think it's so important to uh, vocalize that and, and speak about those different things so for you what do you see as being the main stigmas or generalization generalization sorry you see affecting the world today around these topics that you're talking about uh I'll go through each topic I guess kind of individually and kind of give my thoughts yeah I hope that's all right um of so with I guess uh as we were talking about mental illness um for PTSD obviously I think that is something that I guess is still very much stigmatized around because of the fact that yeah there is a lot of misunderstanding and no not much education about it Mm. um and I feel like people think that it is maybe something that you know people are dramatic about or something like that or don't even necessarily realize that they might have PTSD I mean Mm. I'm not saying that anyone who has PTSD has is dramatic or anything like that but you know sometimes others who don't understand what it is might think that that person is behaving at behaving (laughs) behaving in like a dramatic way if they're like I don't know um you know getting bad flashbacks or something like that you know someone else might invalidate invalidate what they're thinking um so they might just say no you're just being over dramatic like it's not that bad um like just get over it kind of thing yeah um and I guess like people might not necessarily understand that you know what dissociation is so they might think that oh they're just daydreaming well Mm. that's not necessarily it it's when you know dissociation is when your mind goes elsewhere and you feel out of body so it's kind of like an out of body experience because Mm. you're not present and it might look like daydreaming to someone else but basically it's like the fight or flight mode kind of kicking in and so the mind will go elsewhere to protect itself um and the body kind of goes fully numb or um for me also i get really bad irritability so like I will start getting thoughts that will come into my mind and then I will try and shove them away and then over the day like if I find I can't focus I will start fidgeting I will start getting really angry at the smallest of things um and it will just be because of the fact that I've shoved away all these thoughts that are like manifesting and it's kind of like instead of shoving them away I've learned that I need to like let them pass through and realize that they're just thoughts they're not actually my reality Mm. and also just understanding that especially when you are going through I guess um, flashbacks or things like that that you are going to get those kind of emotions because it's just the trauma that's stored Mm. in the body Um, so especially for PTSD because so many people can experience it just through whatever trauma they've gone through I guess trauma again is something that I think people think have to be has to be a really dramatic event um so say like a really I don't know like a really bad sexual violence or um a really bad car crash or something like that where it could be just you know um losing a parent 
over time because maybe they're they've got cancer or something like that like that can be quite a traumatic thing um having to go through that or I don't know being in a relationship that uh can be emotionally manipulative or something like that it can be things that people dismiss as not traumatic but then over time they realize actually that was really messed up and that was actually a really tough time but I was shoving it away because it's something that I thought I had to put up with um so just kind of those are the kind of stigmas that I think people will have around not realizing because there's just not education around it. Mm. Um, and I think a lot of people are too afraid or like just don't even know when it's coming up and maybe are too afraid to like kind of talk about it or um, feel the shame from it. And I guess that yeah. shame also associates with, you know, sexual abuse and with uh, abortions as well. So especially in, um, New Zealand, I guess, um, after, you know, uh, the death of Grace Mullane from, there was a lot of talk about sexual violence in New Zealand and domestic violence, especially as well. And I think that a lot of people say to speak up and yet look at our justice system and how many people are actually, uh, convicted when they are, you know, um, when there is a case of sexual violence, like how many people are actually getting put behind bars uh not many and it's terrifying and also just around the whole wording and media and stuff like that when a case Mm. comes up a lot of the wording or the headlines are very much like against the victim or against the survivor and it's just so messed up you know instead Mm. of saying man rapes woman it's always like woman was raped behind a dumpster and blah 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 like yeah it'll say something like woman has like doesn't consent to it'll be something like woman was drinking alcohol and was raped behind a dumpster yeah yeah something like that yeah and it is like that if you pay attention i feel like you bring that up and people say that's not true but it 100 percent is so yeah. true like i see it all the time in the media that's why yeah. i don't read the news anymore <laughs> oh, i get so angry whenever yeah. i'm on facebook and oh, i don't I just, know there's yeah, like nah. a news article that comes up and then you see all the comments and you're like are you Mm. block those pages yeah yeah i need to because i mm. literally go on little like I don't it know. takes you down a spiral like. yeah wormholes like yeah. i literally sit there and like for the next two days i'm like sitting there hating everyone around me and i'm like literally. did you write a comment like were you this you get person? resentful and i yeah. i see this all the time with people when it comes to like the news and the media people will they get so uptight and angry and that's why I actually like I don't read the news I don't watch the news because yeah. it does that to me and I also get like real emotionally involved in like situations that don't actually involve me and yeah. then I'm just like I can't I yeah. can't deal with this but that's a side note block the news channels if oh you. god yeah <laughs> no especially like I remember um when I was doing when I was part of the uh, abortion reform bill mm. so when they were obviously going through like the written submission oral submission and whatnot um I was lucky enough to um be a part of that through the Auckland Women's Centre I helped out cool. with them um and we did like a video um uh, encouraging uh rangatahi uh to uh make a written submission and talking about you know what the actual former legislation was about abortion and stuff like that and you used to see the abortion articles come up about it and whatnot and you just saw all these very miseducated misinformed or also very passionate I guess people um especially uh, I guess who identify as pro-life um who would just write the most ridiculous kind of 
comments. And I guess, um, funnily enough, thinking about the stigmas, when I went through my first abortion, I had no idea what any of that, um, like what the whole process was like because of the fact that I was never taught in high school. Bear in mind, I did go to a Christian or girls but high still, school as I well. Didn't yeah, and I have no idea about the process. Yeah, and so. I think that was something that people don't know. So mm. I went into that very blindly. You know, like it was actually quite a. There was a lot to it, but mm. I had to go through it really quickly because of the time time period that it was. It was right before Christmas, so they mm. were like, "You've got a week because uh, otherwise all clinics are going to be closed until." Yeah you know, five weeks away, which was like, well, that's really pushing it kind of thing. And Mm. I think there was a, there still is so much stigma around it because of the fact that they don't, well, people didn't know one, the process and why, uh, in terms of this bill, why it was really important for people to be able Mm. to get it. So like for Mm. me, I had to travel over 400 kilometers to get my first abortion, had to pay for a night in a hotel because you had to stay there overnight because you had to go in the morning, well, on day one and then you'd have to go in day two for the second round of it. Mm. So I got the medical abortion, which is where you take the pills. Um, so you have to go in the first day, get first round of pills. And then the next day you go in for the second round of pills. Um, and you kind of have to be down there. So mm. like I was, um, I had to travel 200 kilometers down to Invercargill, um, and then do that and then come back up and that one is a privilege in terms of I was able to use my car. I was able to be able to afford to get a hotel. Um, I was lucky enough to have supportive friends that were talking to me about it and whatnot, but I didn't realize that it was a privilege at the time to Mm -hmm. be able to do that. And that it was only, only 200 kilometers to get there, you know, Um, where they were like, Oh, you're lucky. It used to have to be in Christchurch. So I would have had to travel six hours instead of two and a half. Mm -hmm. And I was like, what the fuck? how is this lucky? Like, Mm. this is ridiculous. And, you know, for me, when I got my abortion, you're normally having to sit on the toilet for a couple of hours afterwards to pass everything. I didn't do that. I had to go back to where I was living because of the fact that I couldn't afford to stay in the hotel another night or anything like that. And so there I was with my maternity diaper, pretty much like having to bleed out and vomit on the side of a road trying to get back to my home and I thought that that was normal Mm. when in fact no woman should have to go through that kind of experience because it's so degrading in a way a hundred percent and I didn't realize that at the time to me I was like oh that's just what you kind of have to do like I don't know how this Mm. experience is supposed to be and it was only until I started working with um, the Auckland Women's Centre as part of their, like, campaign to help, um, you know, young people understand this kind of stuff and also help the bill go through, that I, when I explained this at my oral submission, I spoke in front of the um, the reform committee that, from Parliament and whatnot, and they were like, oh, like, we're, like, you know, were you in a small town? I wouldn't call Queenstown, you know, like, this really rural kind of town, but it's considered rural, but there was no facilities there for me to be able to do that. So then I'd have to travel, what, 200 kilometers to Invercargill and then 200 kilometers back. And mm. at that time I was like, yeah, but like, you know, I just had to do what I had to do because I wasn't able to sit on the toilet for fucking four hours or whatever it was and mm. whatever. And they were, it was only then that I realized how messed up that whole process was and how little people knew about it. And they sat there horrified thinking about it and they actually ended up mentioning it a bit 
on it to the media. Right. And I was like, I didn't realize that that was so messed up. But here are all these people in the comment sections being like, there doesn't need to be changes to the uh, legislation or the reform. Like, why does there need to be this? Because of the fact that, like, women can still get it, but it's still in the Crimes Act. So you still feel like you're doing this terrible thing and you're having to go behind the backs where mm. in actual fact it's just making it safer and more accessible for one less privileged people yeah as well as just taking away that stigma that you're a criminal for having autonomy over your own body mm. and i think that's definitely one of the stigmas is that you know women at the moment w- yes we've got this reform and whatnot but there's just no education around abortion um nothing nothing. and there's almost so much shame surrounding it that's why I didn't want to even mention it when I had to get my second one because I was like Mm. holy crap like the first one yeah sure people can accept that because oh yeah honest mistake whatever kind of thing when in actual fact the second time around contraception failed Mm. that's not my fault it's the contraception but also contraception isn't always 100% but all of a Mm. sudden in my head, I was like, oh, my God, like, I'm this terrible person because I've allowed this to happen a second time when in actual fact, no, contraception failed. It's not your fault. Mm. It's not black and white. Like, there are so many different options. And when I'd see the comments of people being like, oh, as long as women aren't using it as a form of contraception, you know, like, I find that disgusting, blah, blah, blah. Well, actually, you're shaming someone for making a decision on their body. Like, you shouldn't be forcing someone to mm. keep, you know, going along in this pregnancy when one they might not be able to two I was mentally not in a good space at that time either but I shouldn't have to justify that kind of stuff no absolutely not it is your decision it is your body you should not have to justify that decision to anyone but yourself exactly but there is that stigma around it like you have to almost have this legitimate reason reason like you know like oh I can understand if it was a um not taking away from rape victims, but oh, I can understand if it was like a rape victim or if it was through incest or, you know, if it was this really traumatic experience. Mm. But what about those who, you know, women who have had five kids and they can't afford to have another one? Yeah. What about those who mentally can't take it on? What about those who just aren't ready, ready for a child? Yeah, exactly. And for me, that's literally like, you know, I've, I've, I've never been ready. I, I want children in the future, sure, but that almost feels like I should... Like, you know, at times I felt like I couldn't even say that because, well, hey, you've had two abortions, but I've never been ready. Two, I have had mental illnesses that have impacted that. And I know that if I had kept these, I I probably wouldn't be alive because Mm. I wouldn't be able to cope with it. Like it was just, there's too much trauma that I've had to work through. But why should I have to justify it like that? Yeah, and almost tell your whole story just to sort of get across why it's okay for you to have an abortion. But still also have to deal with the backlash of like other Mm. people giving their opinion when in actual fact I know what's right for me but there's that stigma of well you're hurting this child which to me isn't a child it's a fetus it's you know it's Mm. it's it's like you know it's 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 just not that and yet there are these people calling me a bloody devil or things like that indirectly through these comment sections, but you can't help but start to think like, well, am I this terrible person? Mm. Is this actually associated with me? And it's kind of like, well, no, I don't identify as that. I did what I had to do in that situation and I have no regrets about it, but that shouldn't make me an evil person. No. So, you know, there's still that stigma of like, if you do this, like you're a terrible person because of these really 
opposing views that mm. don't always apply to everyone. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I, I totally agree. I, I think, like you say, it's one of those situations where it depends on the individual person. And I just believe at the end of the day, you have a right to make your decision about your own body in your own life. Mm. And that should not affect anyone else because it actually doesn't affect anyone else's life. So yeah. why is anyone concerned? Yeah. I would never put my views on anyone in that way, mm. especially when it comes to something as sensitive as having a child and like for a woman that process isn't just some, oh yeah, whatever, we have kids. Like every woman is going to take that seriously. So it's not like this decision comes lightly either for the person. Like it's not just going to be an easy decision either. So mm. yeah, I think I, 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 it's definitely something that needs, the stigma needs to be removed, but the education needs to come in as well. And like, do you think that that should start in school and in health or how do you think that education should be brought in? Yeah, for sure. I think uh, in general, like I think for all these topics, you know, mental illness, mm. sexual abuse, um, uh, just sex education. Like more so. proper sex education. Yeah, because I mean, yeah. all I learned was how to put a freaking condom on a banana. I didn't banana. even learn that. Oh, really? I just watched a video of some boy having a wet dream in cartoon version. Oh, I'm dear. not even kidding. Oh, dear God. Yeah. Oh dear Lord. Yeah. That was the extent of my sexual education. So it's disappointing on all it, fronts. It is, yeah. But that's the thing. I think we learned so much about drugs and alcohol. And then, you know, they would say in health class, oh, like, if you do health in year 12 and year 13, where it's, you have to pick it as a subject, mm. you know, that's your credits or whatever towards your NCEA or whatever you're studying, um, then you learn about mental illness. We... I think we learnt briefly about what depression was. Yeah. But when Same. I was younger, I had no idea what depression was. Like I, because growing up, I was quite a happy kid. Like I was really smiley and whatnot. And everyone always kind of, yeah, you know, knew me as this really happy kid. I viewed depression as just like, you know, this person is always sad and can't do anything or anything like that. And then when yeah. I first heard about antidepressant pills, I heard them as, happy pills like oh these are the pills that make you happy and I was like why would you need pills for that and mm. you know even the stigma around taking antidepressants is mm. really rife you know there are a lot of conflicting views on that because people don't want to put you know medication into their body personally I had antidepressants that didn't work and then I had ones that really really worked well for me and I loved them because they helped me they helped me function a lot better as a human and yeah. I don't think that there's anything wrong with that but again there was no education around what antidepressants do and no. like do for people or in their brain or anything like that how how they can actually help there's nothing about um you know in high school you learn about okay girls like when you go out like make sure you've got a buddy make mm. sure your phone is fully charged make sure that you know where your friends are at all times but there was nothing about hey, boys, this is what consent looks like. Or even, I mean, so even to true. women, like this is what consent looks like. Unless it's a hell yes, it's a no. Yeah. You know, like unless, like if they're saying like, do you want to have sex? And someone's say, not saying anything, that is, is not, not a, a yes. yes. No. Like that's a even no. Even like a, oh, uh, oh, yeah, I don't know I if guess, I feel like maybe. it. Yeah. That's like, not a yes uh, either. Yeah, I don't know. Like exactly. Yeah. Unless it's like a heck yes. And like, yeah. It shouldn't be embarrassing to have to ask that question because no. of the fact is, if you're having to ask it, are you sure that you should be having sex? But, like, yeah. that's the thing. We, 
there's no education around that and like I know that they've started to do things now but when I was in high school there was nothing really about consent it was always about like how to protect yourself as a woman you know in these situations and it's kind of like that's exactly what the media is still perpetuating even now like this is how um society views victims is like you know it's always down to the woman to protect themselves which Mm. is really really messed up and it was interesting because I actually did this exercise when I was um training to do I won't say what it was but I was training to do um something that works with I guess victims and um who have gone through traumatic experiences or whatever, they asked this question of like, um, so this woman um, got murdered on a bridge, um, but she had two secret lovers and a husband that um, didn't know, blah, 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 blah. Rank from like one to six, who is at fault for um, the murder of this woman? And it was really interesting because the group I was with, it was some older ladies and a lot of them put, the woman first and then ranked it like oh and then the murderer and then the husband because he didn't clearly didn't help her enough to not want to cheat and stuff like that and I was like how the hell is that that woman they were like well if she hadn't gone out and cheated on her husband then she wouldn't have been on the bridge and I'm like are you kidding me the reason why this woman is murdered is because that guy on the bridge decided to murder her are you actually messed up? And then they were like, oh, well, you've got to then put the rest of the people on. I'm like, no, the only person responsible for her murder is this murderer. And I remember just sitting around and I was like, how does no one else get this? And they're like, because you're supposed to rank from one to six. I'm like, it's a trick question. How do you not understand this? Like, come on. But they like, they were so set in their ways. They were like, no, yeah. no, it's definitely the woman's fault. She shouldn't have been doing that. Like she knew it was a dangerous bridge, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, it's conditioning for you whoa like this is crazy like the difference in thoughts and especially generations as well it's just like that's astounding to me yeah it's absolutely astounding and it's like I sometimes still catch myself like in that kind of thought process too and for myself and I'm just then I will catch myself out and I'm like what are you doing you know like Mm. this isn't your fault it isn't shouldn't even be your responsibility but you've got to take it on because that's how it is and yeah. how it will always be but that's like not how it should be yeah but you just kind of I don't know resort back to that because that's what you've always known but especially I think because we're conditioned from such a young age you know totally. we're only yeah. we're seeing so many things I guess like especially in the age of you know Meghan Markle and everything that's coming out about her you know I think there's so many headlines that perpetuate this so you're constantly surrounded by yeah. this one viewpoint and I think especially as well like I know I've had to catch myself out a lot of times as well being like is this my is this internalized misogyny or is this like how I actually think about it Mm. and a lot of the time I'm actually like holy shit this is actually internalized misogyny like take a step back Laura like you don't know this person but you're judging them based off what has been perpetuated my whole life and thinking that, oh, that person's a slut or Mm. something like that. Well, no, they're not. They're allowed to do whatever the hell they want. Why are you judging them? Stop this internalized misogyny. Like they've done nothing wrong. They're they're a great person. Like just because whatever, you know, like catch yourself out. And I think again, like we weren't taught that Mm. ever. And I think consent especially needs to start being taught in primary school. Yeah. As yeah. well as, you know, like Absolutely. if someone doesn't want to give you a hug, you shouldn't have to give that person a hug. Mm. Because even when I was nine, 
I didn't think anything was wrong when I was sexually abused because of the fact that the only videos we had watched was about if a family member came and touched you in the wrong way, then you need to go and talk about it. Mm. But there was, you know, I guess there was that thing of like, you know, don't take candy from strangers and stuff like that. Mm. But this was someone that I knew, you know, they were in a position of power. They were my swimming instructor and they did something that was really grotesque. Mm. And for me, I didn't know that that was something I should tell. I mm. thought I was going to get in trouble because yeah. I had allowed myself, I don't know, to be in that situation. I don't know. Again, like putting the blame on yourself. Yeah. And being a nine-year-old, yeah. you're going through all these conflicting opinions of where you're like, oh, well, I don't want to go to swimming anymore. And, oh, I'm going to get told off by mum and dad. And, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do. And so for me, that, that held a lot of trauma that I had no idea about. And actually, I only really remembered that memory was when I started seeing my psychologist three years ago and we were literally unpacking everything layer Mm -hmm. by layer and I was like actually there's like there's more to it and my psychologist was like yeah what happened when you were nine because this doesn't sound right wow and we unpacked it and I was like holy crap I had no idea that a lot of this actually stemmed from back then not even just the rape when I was 17 but like way Mm -hmm. back when I was nine and that's just always been my kind of thing of like, wow, this is crazy because I just didn't know. Yeah. Because there wasn't, again, that education around it. Yeah. And I think sometimes when you're given that same um, that same kind of picture of what something looks like, like, for example, you know, you're told if a family member does that, you're to say something. And so that's always the thing you carry through when you're a kid. And so if anything happens outside of that scope, you're like, oh, well, it's not relevant. Like, I Mm. remember we were always told the sort of candy from strangers story. And it was always like some man in a white van. Like, it was always that story. Yeah. And there actually was a guy in a white van who would go around our primary school. And um, he did I don't actually think he did anything, but it was just like real dodge. And anyway, um, I always remember thinking, if you're not a man in a white van then mm. I don't, like, there's no need to be worried or anything. And, like, mm. I, I wouldn't, if, if something had ever happened, I probably wouldn't have spoken because, you know, it wasn't that one picture that I've been told to look out for kind of yeah. thing. But then outside of that, it was like, well, actually, you know, the likelihood of this happening just by someone you know or, like, someone close to you is so much higher that yeah. you're not really, yeah, you're never told that. Yeah. No, exactly. And I think that that's where it's it's really tough because I think nowadays I think kids are starting to get taught like, you know, mindfulness and like mm. whatnot, which I think is good. But I also think that there needs to be more stuff on like big emotions as well because when you think about big emotions, I'm meaning like, you know, where people might experience panic attacks or mm. things like that or really big like, you know, if, if, if some kid at home is dealing with, I guess, you know, domestic violence or something like that, you know, mm. instead of just like learn how to breathe through it, it's more just like how to communicate those big emotions and how yes. to also process them. Because I think as adults, you know, we're told to like deal with stress and I don't know, like go and take a breather, go and step away from this. But what yeah. about when they actually turn into really big emotions? Like wh- how does that look like and how can you process them in a, like a, a safe slash productive kind of pr- manner? Yeah, productive way. Yeah. Yeah, I'm a massive believer that emotional intelligence and awareness um, should be taught in school. Like, I just think when it comes to relationships of all kind, friendships, like um, romantic relationships, everything, and just the emotions that come with that, it, 
I'm a massive believer that that needs to be taught as a part of school because so many kids grow up and depending on your home life, you might not have ever even been shown what like showing emotion actually looks like. And so when you get angry, how are you supposed to deal with that? And then kids, you know, act out and people are like, why is this kid a little shit? And it's like, no, actually, they just don't know how to deal with the feelings that they've got. And then they're just sort of put to the side as, as being labelled this person. Yeah. They were never actually educated from the start. And so, yeah, I agree that that's a massive, um, that really needs to be taught. And what's the word? Just with all of the other things that school misses out on. Um, obviously, you know, it's hard to cover everything. But there's certain things like that, like mm-hmm. emotional intelligence and awareness. And that is so important to just the function of a human, the functioning of a human and yeah. being able to process how they feel so that you can avoid m- like terrible mental illness and things like that down the track that could have been prevented had they have like learned these sort of skills yeah um and even identifying it because I'm thinking back to it right now and um I remember you know the way that you'd be able to identify if someone was going through a hard time at school you know it was because I went to an all-girls school there was almost like I don't want to say an expectation but like it was known that there would be girls that would have eating disorders throughout Mm. school and that was a way of like seeing like okay like there's an issue there but like it was almost just like an unspoken like expectation that there were going to be people that went through that or like the only way you could identify someone who was going through a hard time would be through self-harm so you'd see you know if someone Mm. had come to school and they had cuts on their arm or something like that or hidden things where it was kind of like well what about the people who aren't showing in such a physical manner or like so outwardly easily identifiable yeah because I think a lot of the time is like a lot of how depression can look like is like you know drifting away from people or Mm. you know stopping being friends with people or enjoying things that they normally enjoy and Mm. going out and stuff like that or all of a sudden you know like talking about you know like oh, like, I just don't even think these people like me. Why should I bother kind of thing? Yeah. You know, it's it's not always so easy to spot these things. And I think it's also really gross that there was almost this unspoken thing of like, well, you go to an all-girls school, so someone's going to have an eating disorder. And, you know, like, mm. it was almost just like that was that was a given. Yeah, normal. But the people would kind of almost like brush over the fact that that was going to be a normal thing like yeah. why yeah like why aren't we being taught as well like teaching people how to have like I don't know good relationships with food and I know that that can be really I don't want to deep dive too much onto it because I personally haven't had a eating disorder but I know that you know even just talking about nutrition and everyday life kind of things that people go through like how to really like you know identify good nutrition and food and Mm. a good relationship with it and even like you know how to leave a toxic friendship or toxic relationship what like those identifying factors can look like and when you shouldn't have to put up with that kind of stuff you know if something's really toxic like Mm. how to navigate you know really tricky relationships you know not everyone's home life is really great so how to identify um, to not get involved if your parents are like really arguing and you know on the brink of divorce or something like that you know how to not let that impact I guess like your self-view of yourself either mm. so yeah again all about that emotional intelligence but also how to identify things before they become 
like big yeah yeah i definitely agree and it shouldn't just be like oh well you can identify these people because of the fact that they've physically done something to harm themselves or things like that it's just like how to help people and also how to identify that yeah how you can be a caring person and help a friend through something without misinterpreting it (laughs) yeah exactly and so on that like what would your practical advice be for someone who uh is identifying that maybe someone in their life is having issues whether it's with their mental health or there's something going on maybe something just doesn't seem right what would be your practical advice to someone to approach that situation because I think often um I hear a lot around mental health and maybe dealing with your mental health and how to get help for that but when it comes to approaching someone in the right way I don't often hear the education around that and how people can really help others um, that are going through it so what would you say to someone in that situation yeah and I think that's something that a lot of people are scared about as yeah. well because no one is taught or no one gets told yeah. until they're actually faced in that situation um, I would say don't shy away from it mm. you know I think uh, you need to kind of be upfront with them and say hey like I've really noticed that you know you've seemed really down or you're not wanting to come to as many social gatherings like you seem to be like maybe more by yourself at the moment and I can tell that your mood has changed like is there something that um is going on is there anything I can help with um if you think that someone is really not doing well um you know if they've been talking about things such as like you know the world would be better off without me you know making those indications that something is seriously wrong I think they're Uh, practical tips especially on um you know like lifeline website and whatnot but they always say you know ask them directly like are you having thoughts of harming yourself and also not invalidating their feelings um Mm -hmm. I think when you uh if they choose to open up you know really listen and don't feel like you have to offer advice or tell them you know like um oh, well, you shouldn't be feeling like that or, oh, you've got a great life or, you know, remember the great things. I think really just listen and kind of be there for them and sit with them and let them know that, like, what they're feeling is valid and that you're there to help them and um, find, ask them directly, like, what can I do to help? And if they're saying nothing or if they need help or if you can tell that they want to get help, then help them through that. So, mm-hmm. you know, maybe sit with them and Google um, different psychologists um, or go with them to the doctor if they need to go see their doctor who can also refer them to a psychologist or something like that or ask them if they've if you've noticed that they've started to act up a little bit weird just say like hey I've noticed something's really like not okay here has something happened like is there anything going on at home um, just not shying away from the topic and also not invalidating at all because if you invalidate or tell them that they shouldn't be feeling a certain way you can guarantee they're never going to come to you again um just because of the fact like if you're invalidating why would they want to open up and that's a really crap feeling as well um you can't help what you're feeling what you're feeling is what you're feeling you know Mm -hmm. you can't invalidate that away um yeah yeah i think off the top of my head (laughs) no i think that's really good piece of advice because for me um you know I'm still learning a lot about mental illness and mental health and I'm definitely not the most educated person and so I like to try and hear people's thoughts especially people who've been through their own trauma and stuff around 
um, how they would suggest other people approach um, them if they were if if they notice someone else in their life is going through it. And mm-hmm. I think for me, I've always been the type of person, the type of friend that wanted to offer the advice like come in with the solution for them and Mm. be like okay you feel like this this is how we're going to solve the issue and it actually wasn't until I started the podcast that I really got better at listening and just like Mm. hearing people's stories out and then not feeling like I needed to respond with anything um in particular but especially when it comes to people's stories now like I, I'm really getting better at not feeling like I need to solve their issues and I think that's an important thing and, and a lot of the time they don't want to hear your solutions either I think yeah. they just would rather you be almost like a sounding board and like you know you're just the support that's there you're offering your support and like your physical being is like enough there you don't need to come in with a solution so I think that's really important to know as well yeah no for sure and I think also go by what they're kind of indicating like if they've said oh like I really want to get out of the house you know Mm. being like okay well how about tomorrow we go for a walk like Mm. let's make this a kind of like a routine or hey okay like um let's go grab a coffee like Mm. you've been at home would you like to go get a coffee and kind of offer those solutions and kind of also well not solutions but offer those um I guess points and see if they are willing to do that otherwise you know even just going and sitting with them and watching a movie sitting with them while they cry um, just being there is really just important. And I guess also following up and checking in, because I think also like if someone is vulnerable, that takes a lot for them to be able to open up. Maybe you're the first person that they've opened up to, or maybe they've had a really crap experience in the past where someone was like, well, you shouldn't be feeling like that. You've got X, Y, and Z. You're Mm. in this really privileged position. Why the hell are you depressed? And, um, if you're actually there just being like, yeah, that's really crap and just sitting with it. And, you know, just allowing those emotions to be what they are, you know, that's, that's more than enough. And as you say, like, you know, people appreciate it when they know that someone is following up and really caring and like wanting to check in and stuff. And I think it's also like not treating them differently as well. Like there's obviously a point where obviously you're going to be a bit more caring and want to make sure that they're okay. But also, yeah, don't offer a solution. But like if, if someone's vulnerable with you, like take that as like, almost like an honor you know because it is a lot to be vulnerable with someone and you know I know in the past I've had people that have turned around and been kind of like really invalidating and it's made me feel like really crap Mm. um and so I kind of felt like I couldn't go back to them about that kind of thing but if you know if you offer that ear and even if you know you don't know what to do that's okay you don't have to be bob the builder and go and fix everything yeah um all at once you know it, it, it with mental health especially it, like it's an ongoing thing and it can be you know like a really long process and even just helping them to get to a doctor's appointment or anything like that like i mentioned earlier you know things like that that actually means a lot just having that support person you know but also not being afraid like if they are in dire need of help not being afraid to even just call 1737 for advice on what to do if it does get to a serious point or things like that. And don't be scared of, you know, doing the wrong thing by calling maybe the police or 1737 because if it does get to that serious point, you do need to take it seriously. Like if they're telling you, I want to die and I've got this plan, you really do need to take it seriously. Don't shrug it off because, mm. you know, it's really important to make sure that you do take these things quite seriously. Um, And even if they don't attempt or something like that, you know, like at least 
they know that you've been there to support them and whatnot and clearly their thoughts really need help so you need to help them get that help as well yeah but also don't feel like you have to be alone if you need a support person as well obviously you don't have to tell other people other people's crap but like if you need support just say to someone else hey i just need a little bit of support through this or Mm. anything like that you know like it's okay to ask for help yourself as well if you don't know how to navigate a conversation or things like that that's why there are these websites out there that's why 1737 exists and that's Mm. why you know all these other things come through you know like you're not alone through it and if you need help to help someone else that's okay as well Mm. yeah that's so important and so laura Mm -hmm. what's your like dream for the future of mental health in new zealand and i guess like the world in general what do you want it to look like what would be the ideal situation i mean i can imagine but like i guess realistically going forward in the next years of you being involved in mental health what what do you want to see change so I would want more services provided. Um, I know that that's a very easy answer to give. But in terms of, uh, you know, counselling services, I think the work that I Am Hope is providing is absolutely incredible, which is the free counselling services to young people. Uh, I think we need more funding into services like that where we get more and more psychologists on board with that, but also create... Uh, more options as well for those who work in mental health you know there's a lot of burnout at the moment because of the fact that our system is so overworked um we need the creation of more you know psychological services within the public health system because i think these wait lists of six months or more is just it's too much Mm. um i think we also need um more education especially from such a young age i know we've talked heavily about that but I think that that's so important um a lot more you know emotional intelligence a lot more emotional awareness just education from such a young age um but in saying that I think when it comes to uh especially services for um men in terms of because of the fact that our suicide rates are astronomical for men which is absolutely insane and it's absolutely heartbreaking but I think having those services that are uh, more accessible for men, especially, um, you know, out in the rural communities, like it's, I, I can't imagine how hard it must be to, you know, access that type of stuff. But because a lot of our population is also rural, we need to be able to reach them as well. Um, but in terms of for males I think because of the fact that you know we've got this whole stoic kind of viewpoint here in New Zealand you know it's like she'll be right like get on with it yeah toughen up like harden up you know man up Mm. that whole toxic masculinity kind of uh, I guess um societal view is it's 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 rampant and I think there needs to be education on how men can safely open up about emotions and what that actually looks like and you know instead of it being like oh this is what it's like to be a man like you know Mm. really showcasing well you can be a man and still cry and it's Mm. okay to have these emotions as well and I think there are some really great services out there at the moment that are trying to um you know really push those uh I like ideas and whatnot of like you know like saying what toxic masculinity is and you know really kind of push past those myths of like you know toughen up kind of thing but yeah I think there definitely needs to be more on that but in saying that I think there also needs to be 
when when you've got mental health I think there's so many things that play into it so I think for in general like there needs to be more funding into you know domestic violence shelters for women there needs to be um, more accessibility for people to receive education and get out of you know really toxic relationships or things like that um I think there's just so many elements that play into it and I think when a lot of people feel like they're hopeless or anything like that or stuck in a situation you know they feel like they've got no way out I think there's a lot of things like that which especially plays into it and I think when you've got people like living in poverty and whatnot you know it's a cycle that is perpetuated so there needs to be not only an overhaul in our uh mental health system but a lot of the systems that play into that as well which is you know the housing system and everything like that because Mm. without that changing you know I I think there's only so much that people can you know meditate and do yoga and stuff like that when you're actually facing a lot of practical yeah traumatic things that are going on yeah like at home you know you need to be able to be able to manage that and identify that so I think with it's like a domino effect by doing one system you need to keep you know overhauling the other ones but yeah there needs to definitely be a huge overhaul in the mental health system at the moment because we're just there's too many people needing access to it and there's not enough not enough services and not enough funding yeah under resourced yeah for sure there needs to be more resources and then the system needs to be developed so that like you said works sustainably but kind of like in conjunction with each other effectively to help out those people who are struggling yeah yeah i mean like in australia i know their um their rates aren't like their suicide rates and stuff aren't like very good either but they've Mm. they've got a huge research um organization which really does like a lot of backlog and research and whatnot behind mental health and Mm. i think um personally I haven't seen too much of that I mean they they do do surveys and whatnot that really go into it but like you know when New Zealand media is too afraid to even talk about you know the grief from suicide I know friends who have tried to speak up about their grief from losing a loved one to suicide and they've been shut down because it doesn't work with their media communications Mm. and stuff like that and I think when there is like a scared point of talking about it I I don't I don't know if there's like still a scared point of talking about it, but I think there it, still things get watered down. Yeah. And, you know, like there's always like a big, um, you know, it's, it's really shocking when the statistics come out and people are like, oh, that's really sad. Like that's really awful. And people are like, oh, well, it's, you know, it's gotten better from last year. And it's like, hold on, hold on. There's still over 600 families who have lost a loved one to suicide and where's that help for them afterwards as well because Mm. there's no free counseling services afterwards that are ongoing that will help these people either Mm. i think there's just so many elements to it where i think that there needs to be an overhaul of what services are available to families and families that are even like you know if a parent is going through depression and has been in you know services for a while like what help is going towards the family as well yeah I guess lastly, what's your word of advice to someone who feels like they can't speak up and they they feel trapped? What would your main message to them be? You're not alone. Uh, I know how isolating... uh, I know how isolating life can feel at times, especially when you feel like, you know, you're experiencing emotions that you've never experienced before. Maybe, you know, you've been feeling low for a very long time. Um, If you feel like you're unable to speak up just know that 
you can, you have a voice and you can use it. Um, but there's absolutely nothing wrong in asking for help. And I know that it can seem really scary and really hard, but taking that first step is just a step in the right direction. You know, um, whether you talk to your doctor or go to, um, you know, a clinic, a psychology clinic or something like that, you know, if you just go or even talk to your parents or a friend or trusted person in your life, go to them and just say, hey, I need some help through this. Um, You know, just even if you need them to go with you to the doctor or anything, just take that first step because that Mm. first step is going to be, you know, the step of many going forward. And although it can feel really, really hard in the moment and, you know, you might not want to or you might not think that things will ever get better. Trust me when I say that they do. Um, I've been in that position before where I literally didn't think I would be able to survive the next hour, let alone next day, let alone next couple of years. And yet here I am. Um, but really just take that first step and acknowledge that, yes, okay, I I need some help. What am I going to go do to do it? Um, you're not alone in what you're feeling. Uh, so many people really struggle, but I know that you can find it within yourself to really reach out and get that help. Um, and seek that and know that things over time will get better. I know it might not feel like it, but it will. And it might not, get better for a wee while I mean healing is also really really hard um but taking that step and knowing that you can live a really fulfilled and happy life uh it's you just got to take that first step and Mm. just make sure that you take that plunge because you know you're not going to go anywhere if you don't take that first step you just really have to find it within yourself to really take that first step because otherwise you're you're not going to change anything if you're not doing anything to change it yourself yeah um so yeah I just really say just take that first step and just know that things will get better and there are people around you that love you and will support you and will help you get the help that you need um and yeah you're just you're not alone in what you're going through I know so many people have felt like that they have but if you find it within yourself to get that help and you know reach out even just talk to a friend and just say, hey, I've been feeling really crap today. See how they respond. You know, they might say, yeah, I've been feeling really crap too. Like, do you want to get a coffee and we can talk about things? You know, it's it's really about just taking that first step forward mm. and making sure that, you know, you really try and find it within yourself to do that because, yeah, I really think, you know, you, you can get through it and you're not alone and you're, things won't be shit forever. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, they won't. Even though I know sometimes it can feel like that, that things can change, but you just got to make that first step yourself. Yeah, that's perfect. Thank you so much, Laura, for your time. I really appreciate it. Um, and you can find Laura over at Flourish Project NZ. But otherwise, how else can we help you and support you? I just follow, I guess, follow that as well as, you know, be there for your friends and maybe ask everyone that you know today, like check in on them, ask mm. them how they're doing and really, you know, mean it. Um, tell your friends that you love them as well because life is too short and you know that's the best thing you know support and love and show those around you that you really appreciate them um, and give love to them alright guys thank you so much for listening I really hope you were able to take something valuable away um, be sure to subscribe and keep up with the socials for further episodes at the one up project and I'll catch you on the next one